This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fifteen years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not a hundred percent, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we also veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. And as always, a special thanks to some of my patrons, Katerina, Robert, Florence, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, two Emmas, Emily, Wannabe Sleuth, Gabrielle, Galen, Cassandra, Bree, David, John, and my girl Judy. Words do not describe how grateful I am for you. Thank you. This podcast is going to be on Adam Lanza. It's going to delve into some difficult themes around guns, the death of children, and mental health. So I just kind of wanted to warn you, this one's pretty heavy. Adam Peter Lanza was born on April 22, 1992 in Exeter, New Hampshire. So let's get into some history for that time. Now, I, of course, remember the 90s, which kind of shows my age. NAFTA, or the North American Free Trade Agreement, was signed. I actually happened to be there when it was in the House of Representatives. There's some seating above the floor where people can sit and watch. But I digress. Also this year, Ross Perot announced that he would run as an independent the upcoming presidential race against Bill Clinton and President Bush. Hurricane Andrew hit the Bahamas on its way to Florida, causing massive amounts of damage as a Category 5 hurricane. It had sustained winds of up to 165 miles an hour, with gusts over 200. An earthquake measuring 6.8 on the Richter scale hit Turkey, killing over 500 people. In Mexico, a gas leak that ran into a sewer exploded in Guadalajara, Mexico, killing 215 people and injuring a further 1,500. The Earth Summit, a United Nations conference on environment and development, was held in Brazil. Mafia boss John Gotti was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty of murder and other crimes. He had been known as the Teflon Don after being acquitted in three previous trials. The Cartoon Network was established for cable television by the Turner Broadcasting System. It first began to show Warner Brothers, MGM, and Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but went on to create some original series. The first McDonald's in China opened in Beijing. 
Euro Disney opened in France, and the largest shopping mall in the United States, the Mall of America, opened its doors. The Summer Olympics were held in Barcelona, Spain, and finally, rioting broke out in Los Angeles after the acquittal of four white police officers who were accused of beating black motorist Rodney King. So this was the atmosphere that Adam was born into. His parents were Peter Lanza and Nancy Champion. I really couldn't seem to find much of anything about his father's life prior to marriage, but Peter himself described his parents' relationship as distant, his father being disengaged from his mother, burying himself into his work. Nancy was born in September 1960 and raised in Kingston, New Hampshire. Her mother was a school nurse and her father was an officer in the Navy. She had a brother who went on to become a police officer and a sister, though I couldn't find out anything about the sister. By all accounts, Nancy's childhood was quite positive and really idyllic. After Peter and Nancy were married in June of 1981, they built a home next door to Nancy's childhood home. They would later move to Newtown from southern New Hampshire in 1998 when Adam was six years old. Prior to becoming a mother, Nancy had been a stockbroker, pretty successful, and Peter was described as a successful executive. Nancy was also described as a very kind-hearted person and quite generous, you know, charitable. Adam's older brother, Ryan, was four years older than him, and while there isn't a lot of information about him as a child, it is generally accepted that he was a somewhat quiet but very polite child who got along with his brother in any normal manner. According to an interview with Peter for an article for The New Yorker, Adam wasn't typical from birth. He didn't speak a word until he was three years old, though he very much understood what was being said to him. Adam also showed a great deal of hypersensitivity to physical touch and things such as tags on clothing, and they had to be removed, no exceptions. At Sandy Hook Preschool, where he began school, he was observed washing his hands excessively and would complain of odors or smells that no one else could smell. His parents took him to a doctor who diagnosed him with sensory integration disorder. So let's look at that. Sensory processing disorder, according to WebMD, is a condition in which the brain has trouble receiving and responding to information that comes in through the senses. Some individuals with this disorder are oversensitive to things in their environment, such as sounds that most people would barely notice. It can be painful or overwhelming to people affected by this disorder. Or perhaps a light touch of cloth on a person's skin will feel like it is chafing. These people may also appear to be uncoordinated, not spatially aware of their own limbs, and prove difficult to engage in conversation or play. This is usually identified during childhood, but it can also affect adults and are commonly seen in developmental conditions such as autism spectrum disorder. Now, while the exact cause of this disorder hasn't been specifically identified, 
a 2006 study found that it may have a strong genetic component. So Adam's parents put him in speech and occupational therapy in kindergarten and first grade, and they relayed the message from the doctors to the teachers, watch for seizures. But all in all, Adam later stated that he loved elementary school and he enjoyed being a little kid. Ryan, his brother, said that their father and Adam were extremely close and would play Legos together in the basement for long periods of time. He even said Adam invented his own board games. Ryan was quoted as saying Adam was, quote, just a normal little weird kid, unquote. But it was clear that Adam indeed had significant problems and struggled with basic emotions. Nancy would work with him relentlessly and he would practice facial expressions to show emotions in the mirror because he did want to get it right. He once suffered a panic attack so severe that his mother had to come to the school and she had to take him to the emergency room. In 2001, after a difficult time in their marriage, Peter and Nancy separated. They eventually divorced in 2009, but Peter agreed to pay annual alimony of $240,000 with regular increases so that Nancy could continue to stay home with Adam. He was actually happy to do it. Adam was nine years old. A psychiatrist asked Adam how he felt about it, and his response was that they got on each other's nerves just as badly as they got onto his. Peter, like his father, had engulfed himself into working and providing for his family while Nancy stayed home with the kids and ran errands on the weekends. And then Peter played with and spent time with the boys going on hikes and various activities. And even though the couple were no longer together, it was said that they remained quite friendly and co-parented together beautifully. But when 10-year-old Adam was in fifth grade, his happy demeanor began to change. He indicated that he had very low self-esteem and believed everyone else deserved more than he did. This same year, he and another boy wrote a story they titled, quote, The Big Book of Granny, which described an elderly woman with a gun built into her cane and she killed with reckless abandon. She and her son even wanted to taxidermy a boy to display on their mantelpiece. In another chapter of the story was a character named, quote, Dora the Berserker, who exclaimed that she liked hurting people, especially children. Now, apparently Adam attempted to sell copies of this at school and he was reprimanded for it. In junior high, a teacher noted that Adam displayed disturbing violence in his writings and described him as, quote, intelligent but not normal with antisocial issues, unquote. Peter was now living nearly an hour away in Stamford, but he still spent time with his sons every weekend. Also, once he started junior high, Peter said at first Adam was enthusiastic about the change, but his parents quickly began to worry because of the differences between elementary and junior high, and we all know those differences are huge. For starters, the structure of the school day changed from hour to hour, changing classrooms frequently, which disturbed Adam greatly. 
This aggravated his sensory overload and he could not concentrate as well. Nancy was forced to actually make black and white copies of his textbooks because the vivid colors were unbearable to him. Where once he had enjoyed playing the saxophone, he now had no interest. He stopped climbing trees, he stopped playing, and began to avoid eye contact. His body posture became rather rigid and he began having regular panic attacks to the point that Nancy would have to come to the school to intervene. Adam then started saying that he hated birthdays and he hated holidays, something he had always loved before and upset his ever-increasing need for rigid orderliness. He quickly became socially awkward, very anxious, had trouble sleeping, and again had a much harder time concentrating. He found it difficult to learn and retain new information. His parents stated the changes were obvious and they were very concerned. Now, another great resource of information I use, since you guys ask, is Dr. Michael Stone, who specializes in mass and serial murder. Dr. Stone said that, quote, as children grow up and tasks become more difficult, what seems like a minor impairment becomes major. They're a little weird in school. They don't have friends. They do not get picked for the baseball team, but as they get to the age when kids begin to date and find partners, they can't. So the sense of deficit, which was minor in grade school and getting to be a little bit more in junior high, now becomes very acute. Without the brain getting worse, life challenges nudge them in the direction of being sicker." Unquote. The signs that Adam displayed are signs of autism that could very well have been intensified by hormonal shifts in adolescence. So at 13 years old, Peter and Nancy took Adam to a doctor who diagnosed him with Asperger's syndrome, which has since been subsumed into a broader diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. While his parents were relieved to at least have something to begin working with, Adam apparently wouldn't accept the diagnosis. Nonetheless, his parents began looking into special schools, both public and private. Peter himself went to a global and regional Asperger's syndrome partnership meeting and met people, hoping that within this group, Adam would make friends and perhaps meet a future life partner. Nancy contemplated moving herself and Adam to a new school district that were known for their programs for special needs children, but ultimately decided uprooting Adam would be more damaging in the long run and therefore was not worth it. Nancy found a Catholic school that had a more structured environment for Adam, but was ultimately unsuccessful. It was suggested that Adam be homeschooled because sending him to a regular school was becoming unbearable for him. So from eighth grade forward, Nancy homeschooled him, coordinating with the Newtown High School curriculum. Twice a week, Peter would also teach him so that he would be able to graduate with a diploma rather than get a GED. Peter indicated that he was agreeable to Nancy taking the lead in Adam's education, so he basically followed her instruction. At 14 years old, Adam's older brother left for college, which was a change that, that didn't seem to upset Adam that I could find. His parents took Adam to Yale's Child Study Center for additional diagnostic testing. 
observations concluded, quote, he is a pale, gaunt, awkward young adolescent standing rigidly with a downcast gaze and declining to shake hands. Adam has relatively little spontaneous speech, but responded in a flat tone with little inflection and almost mechanical prosody, unquote. This is described as normal for people with autism because sometimes sounds and faces can be overwhelming when trying to interpret the meanings at the same time. It was noted that he displayed evidence of obsessive compulsive disorder, that he feared contamination and he refused to touch specific objects and also objected to his mother touching them as well. He would demand his mother reduce specific movements if he felt that she had not done them correctly. The doctor evaluating him was concerned that, in fact, Nancy was becoming a prisoner in her own home. So beyond his homeschooling, Adam still attended tech club meetings at the high school because he really enjoyed it and he felt he fit in with that particular crowd. He could be heard joking around with the other kids and they treated him very well. At the same time, he once asked his father, quote, why do you need friends? Peter stated that Adam did sort of display an arrogance that a lot of, quote, Aspies seem to have, stating Adam said, quote, I'm not satisfied if information related to me is not profound enough. I could not learn anything from the ninth grade history textbook because it did not explain events to a sufficient extent and did not analyze the implementations of the events." Unquote. His attitude went so far as to even discount his parents' teachings. He also would not tolerate any holiday celebrations. Nancy wasn't allowed to put up a Christmas tree. They had a family cat that she had to rehome because Adam could not bear it being in the house. He was getting to the point that he would only communicate with his mother via email. She told a friend once that she asked him if he would feel bad if anything were to happen to her, and his response was, no. So the doctors put him on the medication Lexapro, which is a type of antidepressant used to treat anxiety and major depressive disorder in adults and adolescents. On day three of taking this medication, he complained of dizziness and within a few hours, he was having difficulty balancing his own body. His speech was disjointed and mundane. Everyday tasks were impossible to accomplish. His mother noted that he was profusely sweating, so of course he was taken off the meds. It was also stated that Adam refused to go into therapy to talk about problems, and he would also not admit to having Asperger's. Now, it is important to note, guys, that Peter and Nancy continued to take Adam to several high-level professionals, and none of them indicated troubling violence in Adam's behavior or overall mood. There was no indication of anything that would have predicted what he would later do. By 2008, the now 16-year-old Adam was rarely going to the high school for socialization to be a part of his favorite club. In emails Nancy sent to Peter, she stated, quote, He had a horrible night. He cried in the bathroom for 45 minutes, missed his first class. 
Also, I am hoping that he pulls together in time for school this afternoon, but it is doubtful. He has been sitting with his head to one side for over an hour, doing nothing. Unquote. A few months later, she emailed, quote, Adam had a rough night. He moved everything out of his room last night. He only kept his bed and wardrobe cabinet, unquote. Peter said in his interview with The New Yorker that while Nancy would ask Peter to stay home when Adam was having a particularly rough day, she did not indicate any urgency or crisis, and though he felt Adam pushing him away as hard as he was pulling Nancy in, again, he didn't feel it was anything very serious and that it was just the nature of the physical distance and so on. He did, however, frown upon Nancy coddling Adam as much as she did and giving in to his OCD. But there was also a sliver of the old Adam still there. He would send sort of memes around with funny captions, and really the family did what they could to stay connected with him. One of these things was Nancy taking Adam to the shooting range. Again, there was zero indication that he was violent by nature. She had taken up guns as an innocent hobby and used it as a way to teach Adam responsibility. Also, he had become fascinated with World War II and the weaponry, and they were told that the best way to connect with Adam was through anything that fascinated him. Everyone who knew that she taught Adam about guns said that he was proud and loved being very careful with them. He took it seriously. Peter bought him a car, taught him how to drive, and he passed the test with flying colors. He was a most cautious driver. Unfortunately, during that same year, Adam developed an obsession with murder that he kept very private. His parents had no idea. At the same time, there was a sense of hopelessness growing within him. His mother continued to email Peter, telling him that Adam still complained of not being able to concentrate on his studies, calling himself a loser and wanted to know what he could do to not be a loser. On occasion, he would refuse to eat. When Nancy would try to speak with him after giving him time to calm down and compose himself, he would just respond with, quote, it does not matter, or, quote, I don't want to speak of it, unquote. Adam would burst into tears and say that everything was pointless. At 17 years old, Nancy called Peter to tell him that Adam had been lying in the bathroom floor, bawling and inconsolable for two hours because he had failed every single test for school. She had also discovered that when he was supposed to go to a school activity, he would instead skip and spend his time in the library instead. And then he decided that he was going to go into the military, the Army Rangers to be exact, on his 18th birthday. Predictably, after his birthday, he did not sign up. And this was Adam's childhood. I have to admit that while I've studied so many psychological disorders and brain injuries and so on, the autism spectrum is something I'm not as knowledgeable about, though I recently found out that I am considered neurodiverse myself. I think we can all agree that Adam fits within the definition of the autism spectrum disorder, which the CDC describes as, quote, 
a developmental disability caused by differences in the brain. Scientists do not know yet exactly what causes these differences for most people with ASD. However, some people with ASD have a known difference such as a genetic condition. There are multiple causes of ASD, although most are not yet known." Unquote. So ASD begins before three years of age and lasts throughout the person's life, though symptoms can improve over time. Sometimes it can display in children as early as the first few months of their life. Usually, the red flags begin to show as the child is a toddler when their growth and skill learning begin to slow or stop altogether. Some signs include not responding to their name by 12 months of age, not pointing out objects to indicate interest by 18 months, not making eye contact and wanting to isolate, issues with understanding other people's feelings, delayed speech and language, giving unrelated answers to specific questions, obsessive traits, odd physical body movements or posture, and unusual reactions to how things sound, smell, taste, look, or feel. There are many others, but you guys get the idea. WebMD actually published an article titled, quote, Asperger's and Violence, Experts Weigh In, unquote, and they specifically named Adam. They stated that Adam was indeed diagnosed with Asperger's, citing that it is a high-functioning form of autism and that some wondered if his diagnosis played a role in his future actions. They say the answer is complex and that experts are clear that Asperger's does not make a person more likely to commit violent crimes, but that it might affect the way a crime is carried out. Psychologists and psychiatrists agree that people with autism or Asperger's are not more likely to commit violent crimes, but it can still, though rarely, happen. Adam came from loving parents and was raised in a loving home. Both parents took him to the best experts money could buy to get him the therapies he needed to help him become higher functioning. It was not reported that he was abused or neglected in any way. There didn't seem to be any accidents where he suffered head trauma or had any usual clues we get with other murderers. His parents took great care in ensuring his environment was best suited for him and his needs. His parents' eventual divorce didn't seem to be a contributing factor either. There was no indication that he had any negative reactions to this. He suffered with extreme anxiety that seemed to dramatically worsen as he became an adolescent, which we all know is a difficult time even under the best of circumstances. This is a time when the brain, thought patterns, and maturity begin to open the individual up to more mature themes, ideas, and worldly understanding. While most murders occur for some level of a concrete reward, such as money, sex, or drugs, this would not be the case with people with autism spectrum disorders. The motivation behind crimes committed by autistic people are a way to communicate that they are deeply offended by something. They sometimes are trying to say they've been treated badly and they want revenge, but we know this is not the case with Adam either. He was not treated badly by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, his mother devoted herself 
so completely to his needs that it was specifically mentioned doctors feared she was becoming a prisoner in her own home trying to meet Adam's demands. What is generally agreed upon with regards to Adam was unfortunately his mother's gun hobby, which is completely innocent in and of itself and her teaching Adam how to shoot and respect guns. She had the best of intentions. I don't think anyone can argue that. Citing that it was to teach him responsibility and he gave no indication that he had anything but a full understanding of the importance of gun safety. He was actually quite proud of how careful he was. They both took National Rifle Association safety courses. The WebMD article states that, quote, Asperger's subjects may have special interests. He had a special interest in shooting and guns and so on. So he had a license for a lot of guns. When people with Asperger's become fixated on weapons, it can lead to violence. It could be fires or fire setting. We have even seen an interest in explosives that have very problematic effects and offending behavior, unquote. And guys, flat out, straight up, I'm not here to debate gun laws because I can see the comments already. We don't do that here. I do feel that in Adam's case, I believe his mother did have the best of intentions, never dreaming Adam would do what he went on to do. Her son was very much interested in World War II and again, the weaponry that went alongside that and she never imagining for a second that her son could be dangerous was trying to find a way to bond with her son to pull him out of his isolation. So let's continue. As Adam didn't join the military, it was suggested to him that he perhaps go to a community college to see if he could tolerate campus life. His father advised him to start slow with perhaps two classes instead of the five that Adam wanted to take. And then when Peter would come to pick Adam up for his weekend visits, Adam began refusing to go. Peter told the New Yorker, quote, I said, Adam, we've got to figure out a system so I can work with you. Adam was angry. I hardly ever saw him pissed, but he was pissed, unquote. And it was like, I'm taking the five classes. I'm taking them, unquote. That September 2010 was the last time that Peter would see his son, Adam. Nancy wrote Peter an email stating, quote, he does not want to see you. I have been trying to reason with him to no avail. I don't know what to do, unquote. And guys, please keep in mind that I think we can all agree that Nancy was probably desperate for the break that Peter gave her so that she could have a couple of days of rest. The overall theme in all of the articles I read was that Adam really controlled every aspect of their life within that home to the minute detail. Certain plates could not be used for certain foods. She was not allowed to wear heels because of the noise they made on the floor and on and on. Can you imagine just how exhausted she must have been? Adam then sent his father an email stating that he apologized for not wanting to leave with him, stating he hadn't been feeling well for the last few days. Nancy told Peter that it was more like Adam had been completely despondent and crying for hours and was nearly non-functioning. 
She told Peter that the more she suggested Adam spend time with his father, the bigger the meltdown became. She told Peter that the more she suggested Adam spend time with his father, the bigger the meltdowns became. All of this was due to the simple fact that Peter had suggested he take less classes. Peter was obviously frustrated, but felt that if he forced Adam to go, or if he showed up to the house, it would have exploded into a big fight, and he knew that would only make matters worse for Nancy, so he was, of course, torn. He said that he was quite sad that his son would not see him, and even thought about trying to run into him somewhere unexpectedly on purpose, and Nancy agreed with him. Now, during all of this, Peter did remarry. He married a librarian named Shelley, but Adam was never made aware of this because Peter felt Adam would not be able to handle it. Shelley did meet Ryan, and that, of course, went well, with Ryan fully understanding not to mention it to his little brother. Now, something Adam started doing, which he thoroughly enjoyed, was going to the local movie theater and playing Dance Dance Revolution, where you attempt to keep up with the dance movements with your feet on the machine, and he sometimes spent hours doing this, much to his delight. But as much as Adam clung to his mother and shut out his own father, he had also cut off all communications with his brother as well. Ryan hadn't seen his brother for nearly two years at this point, but Again, he had been busy with college, and he was beginning his career as an accountant. What is believed to have been happening was that Adam was trying to conceal his rapidly decaying mental state. In October 2011, Nancy emailed Peter that Adam had all of a sudden been doing better and had discussed possibly going back to college. At the same time, at this point, no one person was allowed to come into the house outside of Adam and his mother and anyone who had to come to drop anything off or do any work around the house were told to never ring the doorbell. Later in 2012, Peter expressed to Nancy that he was concerned the now 20-year-old Adam would not even acknowledge his emails. Nancy agreed to speak with Adam about it, though at this point nearly all communication with his own mother was done other than just barely emails. Peter believes now that at that point Nancy really didn't want anyone to know just how bad things were getting. She had thought about taking Adam and moving to Washington State, though she never told Peter about this, but we feel that she was becoming desperate. She didn't want to admit that she needed help, but it was completely out of her control. The last communication between Peter and Nancy was an email where she asked him to buy Adam a new computer. Peter said he'd love to and wanted to deliver it personally, thinking it would help with he and Adam's relationship. Nancy said she would talk to Adam about all of that after Thanksgiving. In the early hours of December 14, 2012, Adam entered his mother's bedroom, where she was still sleeping, and he shot her four times in the head. Peter believes each shot was for Nancy, himself, Adam, and his brother. Due to him not driving his car for so long, the battery was dead. So he then got into his mother's car and drove himself to the Sandy Hook Elementary School. 
At around 9.30 a.m., Adams shot the glass panel of the locked door to gain access to the school, wearing all-black clothing, yellow earplugs, sunglasses, and an olive green utility vest. He was not, in fact, wearing body armor, which had been reported. People within the school heard the first shots over the intercom system as the morning announcements were being made. Now, quite frankly, and excuse me for being rude, I don't care how much this pisses anyone off, I'm not going into detail about the murders of those children. I am hypersensitive when it comes to children, as you guys already know, so there you have it. He shot and killed 20 children, 6 faculty and staff, and wounded others. At this point, the police were on scene when they heard the final shot at 9.40 a.m., which was Adam committing suicide. Witnesses stated that Adam was cursing to himself and shouting things like, quote, look at me, come over here, look at them, and so on. For whatever reason, Adam was carrying his brother Ryan's old identification, so initially the thought was that Ryan had been the shooter, but this was, of course, quickly proven false. According to a report from the Office of the Child Advocate in Connecticut, they believed Adam to be suffering from anorexia nervosa, which would complicate his already delicate mental health. He was, after all, six feet tall, but he only weighed 112 pounds, which was considered malnourished and can result in brain damage. He was living in total isolation in his room, spending nearly all of his time playing video games. His near total communication had deteriorated to just emails. But they did find out later that he was communicating with a small online community of people who, quote, shared his dark and obsessive interest in mass murder, unquote. Experts believe that had Nancy communicated to Adam her idea of moving away, that might have been the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. But there's no way of knowing exactly if that's what happened. Peter believes that Adam might have also been suffering with schizophrenia that was hiding behind his Asperger's diagnosis. So, was he schizophrenic? An article written by Jamie Turndorf for Psychology Today states that some drugs used to treat depression and anxiety, for example, can possibly trigger violence in people on the autism spectrum. But we know that Adam wasn't taking any of those medications and hadn't for some time. She states there is no link between Asperger's and violence. Teachers from his past indicated that while a tag on his shirt would feel as though he were being stabbed, if he physically burned himself, he would not have known nor felt the pain physically at all. Dr. Turndorf suggested that there is emerging research showing both clinical and biological links between autism and schizophrenia, though Today's books indicate they are separate from each other, and she urges more research to be done in this area, mainly because decades of research have shown a relationship between schizophrenia and increased rates of antisocial behavior in general and violence in particular. These statistics are clinically and socially relevant. She wrote, quote, 
Adam clearly showed the unusual behaviors and mood regulation difficulties that are characteristic of schizophrenia. Had a proper diagnosis been made earlier and had proper treatment been instituted, might we have averted this tragedy? The bottom line is psychiatrists and other mental clinicians need to receive further training and education on this topic so kids like Adam don't fall through the cracks. In addition, there needs to be more vigilance on the part of the schools and their guidance counselors to be alert to problems within the students' families. Clearly, this mother was in over her head with Adam. I also suspect that his mother may have been troubled herself." Unquote. She believes that Adam's violence was ultimately an extreme acting out of pent-up rage. She said, quote, You don't mortally wound other human beings directing your fire at their faces if you aren't drowning in rage. Unquote. It was discovered that Adam had written a Word document called Selfish, which was found on his computer. And it gave an explanation of why females are inherently selfish, written while one of them was accommodating him in every possible way. I will leave a link to this document in the notes of the podcast, should you wish to read it. And finally, I just wanted to touch on matricide, which is a person who kills their own mother. This is, of course, considered one of the most horrific crimes. Psychiatric investigations as to why a son might murder his mother yield indications of a high rate of mental illness, primarily psychotic disorders, especially schizophrenia. A pathologic mother-son bond was found in all cases. So guys, tell me what you think. Do you think Adam had schizophrenia and Asperger's? This is kind of a new concept that they would coexist. There's a lot of arguments that that's not possible and a lot of very valid arguments that it is. Do you place blame on the mother for these shootings? It's hard to say because I get what she was trying to do to bond with her son, teaching him the responsibilities of guns and how dangerous they are. And yet... It was the guns that she taught him how to respect that he used to end so many innocent lives. But I would love to hear your opinion. Leave me a comment if you're watching the video or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can always email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I appreciate that. Thank you and have a great day.